This episode of the Smashing Podcast is brought to you by Cats. Cats, the versatile furry friend for all your daily needs. To find out more, search Wikipedia for cat. Smashing. Give everyone the best possible start to the day. See special packs for details. In this episode of the Smashing Podcast, we're talking about design tokens. What are they? What problem do they solve? And how can they be used within an existing design system? We talked to someone who's so much more than a token expert, Gina Ann. But first, did you know that Smashing Magazine publishes a brand new article to the website five days a week? That's a lot to keep up with, but we're here to help. It's your weekly update. In What Newspapers Can Teach Us About Web Design, Frederick O'Brien looks at some of the rules and constraints placed on designing layouts of printed newspapers and asks how those systems might be translated to the world of web design. The decision-making process is the subject of Susan Skacker's article, How to Stop Analysis Paralysis with Design. Accepting that sometimes there's no way to cut back on options, Suzanne looks at ways design can help the user to feel more confident about their choices. Smashing Magazine Editor-in-Chief Rachel Andrew posts a roundup of the recent Smashing Conf New York. Catch up on what went down in the New York City Conference through a selection of videos and rather excellent photos by a very talented and handsome photographer. It was me. In Adapting Agile for Part-Time Teams, Philip Keeley asks if Agile's requirement for co-located, dedicated teams could be modified to work with more modern distributed teams and individuals working across multiple projects and responsibilities. And in Better Design with Deep Thinking, Eric Olive helps you slay the distraction dragon with five practical tips for increasing focus as you tackle challenging design problems. Eric helps us understand the cost of task switching and suggests some ways in which we might avoid it to become more productive and focused. And that is your weekly update. Find all these and more at smashingmagazine.com slash articles. She's a design systems advocate and coach. While at Amazon, she was senior design systems lead, and she was lead designer on the Lightning Design System at Salesforce. While at Apple, she led the CSS architecture and style guide for the Apple Online Store. She's worked with GitHub, Engineered, and the Memphis Brooks Museum of Art and more. She founded and organizes Clarity, the first design systems conference, and is on the SAS core team, where she leads the brand design and website for SAS. When it comes to design systems, you'd be hard-pushed to find anyone more qualified. But did you know that she's never seen a sidewalk? My smashing friends, please welcome Gina Ann. Hello, Gina. Hello. How are you? I'm smashing. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you today about design tokens, which I think is a, a phrase many of us have probably heard passed about, but we perhaps aren't mm-hmm. sure what it means. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, I guess we should talk a little bit about design systems. I mean, design systems are your thing, right? Yeah. It's uh, like um, rules everything around me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that, you know, it's something that we're seeing is becoming increasingly common uh, in projects and people mm-hmm. are making them public and it seems to be a real movement around design systems. Mm-hmm. But I think there are plenty of organizations that don't have them in place still. What problem does a formalized design system solve from your point of view? Um, 
it can solve many problems. I think some of the more common problems that people seek to solve is around maintainability and consistency. <laughs> and that usually has to do with design debt or in some cases, code debt, some cases, both. <laughs> um, I also look at it as a, like, it's not just about the the code or the design, but also the problems around how people work together. And so I look at it as a way to also solve some of the issues around communication and workflow process and, and so on. So are design systems then something exclusively that are useful to really big teams and big organizations? I don't think so. I've, you know, I've seen them work really well with smaller teams or, or sometimes even with a lone designer. Um, they they definitely help with larger teams for sure, but I, they are definitely not exclusive to large teams. In fact, I think if you see yourself perhaps growing at some point to be a large team, then having the system in place already will help you do that more efficiently. And what do you think are the sort of symptoms that somebody might be looking for if they're working and they start having problems? What, what do those problems look like that might be solved by putting a design system in place? There's a few. Duplication of efforts, duplication of code. You might have a breakdown in communication where things just aren't being built the way they're expected to be built. It could come down to things aren't documented well, so people don't really quite know what the best thing is to use or where where to look. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of signs. <laughs> I guess design systems are generally a concept rather than a specific technical solution. Mm -hmm. you, you must see in, in your work, you must see people using all sorts of different tools to achieve design systems. Yeah. What are some of the more common ways that people actually go about it? So I think the most common ways are having a component library done in code. In often cases, you'll see it in it, like a React library or an Angular library, um, whatever, whatever platform you're using. There's usually also a website associated with it that will display those components. And then you'll usually see perhaps like a, a sketch or a Figma library as well. But one of the things that I like to stress to people is that like if you look at that website that displays your documentation and your components, like that website is not actually your design system. It's a representation of your design system. And so I think a lot of people spend a lot of time on making this gorgeous, beautiful website and it's fine. Like, it, you know, they're nice to look at and they're nice to share and they help a lot with communicating what you're doing and even with recruiting. But it's the system itself that it represents that I, I want people to spend their, their love and care into. So thinking through um, what's going into that website, like the content and um how you've organized things, how you've named things, the things that you're systemizing. <laughs> so yeah, like I think a lot of people think about the artifacts, like the deliverables, but really it's it's a lot more than that. It's a lot of process and, and workflow as well. And is it exclusively web projects that the design system would help with? Not at all. Um, it is the most common, I believe, from at least what I've seen, but design systems definitely can cover many things. Um, there's in the digital space, you have native platforms, 
But even outside the digital space, I think a lot of people talk about design systems in a digital product space, but you know they've been around for ages for traditional medias and real world scenarios. So if you um, have seen the NASA graphic standards manual from like the 70s, like that was a design system. It just was across like all the different like rockets and spacesuits and and all that instead of digital products. And so I guess there must be some overlap between things like, you know, traditional things like brand guidelines uh, and those sort, that sort of documentation that mm-hmm. I think probably people are, are familiar with in, in all sorts of walks of life. Uh, there must be crossover between that sort of documentation of a, of a system and, and uh, a more modern concept of a design system. Yeah, I believe so. I think a lot of people forget that it's all about branding, like the whole reason any of this even started and why we want to display these things in a unif- uh, uniform or, or unified way is all about the brand because brand isn't just logos. It's like how people use and experience your company's service or product or whatever it is that you offer. So yeah, absolutely. So say so I've, I've got a design system in place. I mean, in an organization, we've done a whole lot of work. We've got a design system. There are creatives within the organization working in maybe, like you mentioned, Figma and Sketch. And we've got web designers uh, using that in uh, CSS. And perhaps we've got like a mobile team doing like Android and iOS development, building apps. Um, loads of people working with a design system, contributing into it and uh, consuming stuff from it. Where do design tokens come in? What problem do they solve? Ooh, yes. <laughs> so let me first like take it back to a story. <laughs> when I first joined at Salesforce, I was actually part of a small project team. It was a different product that was like a productivity tool, like tasks and notes and things like that. So we were only three designers and I was the only one that I guess... I wouldn't say brave enough, but maybe like, you know, interested enough to work with the Android designs. Uh, the other two designers, I, I think, just weren't quite as interested. I So I was basically the main designer on our Android app. And then I also did a lot of design for iOS app. And of course, the web application as well and the, and the marketing website. So lots of different projects in play. And, you know, with, with the website, um, since I like to design and code, um, it was pretty straightforward. Like I could go ahead and build the buttons and typography and, and everything that we needed for the web application or the marketing website, document it in code and deliver that. However, with both the Android and iOS app, I don't really know how to code for that. And so I wasn't able to deliver the same thing. So I was having to do a ton of redline specs, which if you're not familiar with redlines, it's essentially where you are specking out every single spacing, font size, color, anything to indicate how to build it for the engineer. And I would do these for many, many, many screens. And of course, a lot of those screens had variations because maybe you're showing what happens when you click that button or when a certain state happens. So doing this across, you know, many, many screens and then saving those up to Dropbox and then 
documenting it in a wiki. And that was the process that I was having to do at the time. You know, I usually think about things in a CSS way, like especially the C in CSS. So I usually think, oh, well, font sizes should only need to be declared one time because it's going to cascade everywhere. But I found that with certain engineers that I've worked with in the past, if you don't spec it, and I guess with native, it works a little differently, they're not going to build it. And so I would have to be very explicit and name pretty much everything per screen. And I was just like, why is it like this? And then anytime we made any changes, I had to go back through and change all those screens again. It was not fun at all. So fast forward to when I moved over to the core team of Salesforce, you know, I had been working on the SaaS website and I'd been playing around with using a YAML file to store the data for colors and uh, typography, spacing and so on. And was looping over that data to create the style guide as well as the SAS variables and the classes. And the reason I did that was we open sourced the SAS website and I wanted people to be able to contribute to the design as well. But I didn't want to make it a tedious process where you had to like update the style guide along with any colors that you're adding. And so doing it this way just kind of automated that process. So I, I showed that to the team at Salesforce, and then that kind of is where the concept of design tokens uh, spawned off of. So they built a tool called Theo, and there's other tools out now that do the same thing, like Style Dictionary. Um, but the idea of it is you have this automated tool that takes the data that you give it and generates the code. And you might think, well, why, you know, that might be over engineering variables. Like why not just use variables? Well, the idea is, as you alluded to earlier, like native platforms, just take those, you know, attributes in a totally different way. And so trying to scale design to Android and iOS, um, whatever other platforms like at Salesforce, we had some people on Java, we had some people on React, we had some people on Angular, uh, PHP, like, you know, not just internally at Salesforce, but also externally with all our partners and customers that were building their own applications. So This was a way to store our visual information um, as data and then uh, in an automated way generate the uh, variables or the XML data you needed or the JSON data, like whatever whatever format that particular platform looked for. Um, And then what was great about it was we found, you know, let's say a color doesn't uh, pass contrast ratios. I didn't have to then notify the Android team and the iOS team and the web team. Like I just like made that change and then they would get that change automatically um, the next time that they would pull in the latest. And so it just really helped streamline a lot of that and helped us be able to take off some of the burden of updating visual designs from the engineers and let, let us do that. So uh, instead of being sort of variables within one particular code base, within your React code base or within your PHP or within your Java or or wherever, they're kind of like variables across an entire organization. Is that fair to say? Correct, correct. And then what's cool is things like colors, for example, like transparent colors, you do that differently in Android, like eight-digit hex instead of RGBA like you would with web. So that tool that you use 
if you're using one that, you know, is, is built to think through all this, uh, does that transformation for you? And so rather than saying RGBA 50 comma 40 comma, whatever the, the color, you can just say color background card or something like that. Like it's really more of a named entity now. And then you can all be speaking the same language, even though it might render a different syntax. Right. So uh, although variables are kind of like the the nuts and bolts of how it might be implemented Mm -hmm. the idea is kind of much bigger than just what you'd think of as just variables i mean i I guess in a way like rss Mm -hmm. could be called just variables but actually the way it enables us to distribute blog content and podcasts and and everything is has a much wider impact than just the core technology that's that's there yeah i think that's actually a really good metaphor (laughs) i do see a lot of people when they use it or talk about it in their own design system website, they're usually only talking about like SAS variables or CSS variables. And I think that's why there's this confusion that like, well, isn't that just variables? Like, why are we renaming it? But it is that much broader application of it with, you know, a whole process around it. Like there, it even gets into like how you distribute those variables across components, like on a global level or on an individual component level. Um, you can have multi-layers and so on. Like it, it can get pretty interesting. <laughs> So I suppose as as well as helping in the maintenance, you mean you mentioned being able to change a color in one central location and then have everything that is using those design tokens be able to pick it up when they next build or next refresh from the system. Presumably this has the potential to enable all sorts of other interesting things like uh, I know a lot of people make sort of white labeled products. Mm-hmm. It's the same core product, but it's customized with different design tweaks for different customers and, and things. Yep. So using design tokens could actually be a solution for those sorts of applications as well that need to span Mm -hmm. uh, more than just one particular code base. Right. Yeah. So that was definitely a use case at Salesforce. We have a lot of, um, I don't know why I'm still using present tense, but (laughs) we had a lot of customers that um, wanted to be able to brand their UI that they were using. And so we had this concept of certain variables that we wanted to be actually be seen more as like a constant, like maybe it's an error color versus colors that were meant to be configured, like brandable colors. So for some people's needs, you know, that can get interesting too, white labeling or offering any sort of theming, dark mode or night mode. Even um, offering a feature, which you may have seen in Gmail, but it's like that comfortable, cozy, compact um, spacing density. So there's all sorts of kind of extra stuff that you can get with it across like multiple products very quickly, which is really nice. It is really an extension of core principles of programming where you make sure that you really define things once in one place. So you don't have multiple instances, so it's easy to update. Mm -hmm. But it is looking at that as a much, much bigger idea than just one small element of a product, looking at it across everything uh, and centralizing that. Yeah, so we definitely looked at these as our source of truth. Um, However, in case anybody is worried about like, well, you know, Android does things differently than iOS or, you know, you might have some concerns there. Um, Depending on how you've architected things, um, you can still solve for those use cases. So we would have a global token set that all our products would um, basically import in, but then we made them in a way where you could either um, alter it for that particular context or extend it, like offer like 
maybe additional tokens that only that particular context needs. And so you can still give uh, the fine-tuned experience that you need to give to each of those contexts while bringing in the most common shared things. So on a technical level, how would this actually work? Is there like a common file format that different systems share? Is there like an established standard for how you declare your design tokens? It's interesting that you asked that. <laughs> so there's actually a community group formed through W3C has all these like community groups. And it's, it's not really exactly a working group, but it's still um, like an initiative across various people that are in this space trying to come up with a recommendation of what those standards could be. So even how people store their data can change. Like it could be YAML, it could be JSON, it could even be a spreadsheet. And then what you export would be different because, you know, you might be using SAS, you might be using less, you might be using some sort of XML-based system. And we actually don't want to tell you which of those things to use because, Depending on your use case, you might need to use spreadsheets instead of JSON or, or YAML, or you might need to use XML instead of SAS or less or C- even CSS variables. And that's because like everybody's products are so different and have different needs. But what we can standardize on is around the tooling to generate these things. And the reason we want to try to come to some sort of standard is because so many design tools are starting to implement this Envision, Adobe, Figma, like like all these tools are looking at design tokens because there is a need to not just make this a code-based thing, but make this a design tool-driven uh, thing as well. And we don't want to do it in a way where those tools don't feel like they can innovate. Like we want them to be able to innovate, but at least offer some sort of standards so that new tool makers can get into the space and already have sort of like an established understanding of, of, you know, how to set that up. So while we're not going to get strict on your format of like what file format you're using or, you know, what tool you're using, we're going to more try to standardize on like the internal process and basically the API of it. So I guess then once that API has been defined, the tooling can spring up around it that speaks with that API f- for whatever tools that people want to use. So somebody could write a, uh, a Java a Java library that speaks that API, uh, and then anything that's using Java could make use of it uh, and so on. So are there any tools currently that support design tokens in any way? Yeah. So on the code side, I mentioned already Theo and uh, Style Dictionary. There's also one called Diaz, D-I-E-Z, that's kind of newer to the space. And it's taking it beyond just like doing the transformation process, but kind of treating design tokens as a component in a way. And so that's cool. And then like on the design side, Envision already has it in their DSM tool, which is their design system manager tool. Um, the last I looked at it, it was just colors and typography. But I do know when I, I talked to Ehud, who's one of the, the main folks behind that product, he did tell me like other things like spacing um, should be coming into play if it's not already. I haven't looked at it super recently. And I know there's like newer tools that are really catching my eye, like modules and interplay. Both of those are code driven design tools. And then um, I've been told that it's supposed to come into some of the stuff that Figma and Adobe is doing. So I, I'm not sure if I'm revealing secrets. I don't think I am. <laughs> I think it's all stuff they've talked about publicly. So 
Um, but yeah, I, um, I'm really excited because I, I think while it was something that we were doing just for really just making our design system work easier, it's kind of almost accidentally created a path for bringing design tools and code closer together. And that's really exciting to me. The, the makers of these various tools, are they working with the um, Design Tokens community group? Yeah, um, a lot of them have joined. Since I'm a chair member, I get to see by email everybody who joins. It sends me a, a, a notice. So what's cool is like not only just seeing all these design tool people joining, but also seeing big companies like I saw like Google and um, Salesforce and and all that. So it's really exciting because I think it it shows that like this really matters to what a lot of people are doing on a large scale and small scale. And it's pretty cool. (laughs) So if I was sort of listening to this and thinking about my own projects and thinking, ah, yes, design tokens are absolutely the answer to all these problems that I'm having. Where would I go to find out more, to start learning, to start maybe using design tokens? Um, This is a really good question. Um, There are a few articles and I can send you um, some links to include with this. But I think one of the first articles, which I wish I had written, but (laughs) Nathan Curtis wrote and that he actually kind of helped bring attention to them. And I think he inspired a lot of people to start using them. So he kind of discusses what they are and how to use them. His recommended way. I don't like the title of this next article I'm going to mention, but it's called like Design Tokens for Dummies. Um, I'm not a fan of using that terminology, but it is a pretty well thought through article that goes through, you know, pretty much everything about them. There was a uh, CSS Tricks article by Robin Rendell recently that kind of just explains like really what they are. I did like a all you can learn library session for Jared Spool a while back, but um, it is a, a membership based thing. So you would have to have access to that to see it. And then I know there's been like a lot of like presentations and stuff, but um, there's not like a an official book to it yet, but that's perhaps something I'm working on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of one of two books I'm working on actually. <laughs> So, you know, if I'm a tool maker or I have, uh, I work for maybe a big organization that's that's having these sorts of problems and I've got some ideas about uh, maybe contributing to the process of designing how the standard works, is the Design Tokens community group something that I could get involved in? Absolutely. I think you'll want a GitHub account um, because that's where all the public discussions and notes and things are happening. And then on the W3C community group website, can create an account there, which having that account enables you to join other community groups as well. But then, yeah, at that point, once you've created your account there, and I think it asks like if you have any affiliations, like if you work for a big company or anything like that, just so it's like transparent, like if you have any, I wouldn't say necessarily bias, but like a a certain interest, like it just helps everybody understand where you're coming from. Anyway, at that point, yeah, you join and and you're pretty much in. (laughs) It's quite quite an open process then. Yeah. So what's what's in the future for design tokens? What's coming down the line? I'm really excited about what's going on with the community group. My uh, Caleb's been doing most of the leading of it. Like he's he's the co-chair with me, um, and I really love seeing his passion behind this. My particular interest in this is really around the education of it, and so kind of similarly to the work I've been doing with the SAS community, I kind of want to do a little bit of that for the design token community, like 
talk through like, you know, how to educate people on what this is and, and not just make it an API doc, but also like where to get started, how to get into this. So that's something I'm interested project wise. Um, I'm also really keen to see like where this evolves, like especially with all these design tool companies getting involved. And then a lot of people mostly think about design tokens as a visual abstraction, but really what it came from was the same technology that you use for localizing content. You know, you wrap things in strings and then you can like pass through different stuff. And so bringing it back to its roots, I'd love to see the application of this apply in different ways, like interactions and content, um, you know, um, I'm not really super uh, keen on AR, VR type stuff, but like, you know, how does it maybe manifest there? Yeah, just really just seeing it kind of go beyond just like the visual layer of what we see. I I guess that's the beauty of of having an open process like the W3C community group is that people who do have specialisms in in things like AR and VR can uh, contribute to the conversation and, and bring their expertise to it as well. Absolutely. So I've been learning a lot about design tokens today. What have you been learning about lately? Um, there's, you know, I'm always trying to learn something, but I've, I've actually been um, occasionally taking some cocktail classes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, not really with the interest of becoming a bartender, but more of just having a, a appreciation for cocktails. And um, what's cool about these classes is they're beyond just making cocktails. Like they actually talk about business practices and ethical practices, the hygiene of your bar, like all sorts of stuff like that. So it's been really fascinating because I think I have like this like weird like fantasy of like one day leaving tech and maybe going into <laughs> into that. But we'll see. <laughs> Do you have a favorite cocktail? Um, Manhattan. It's good. It's good. Yeah. You can't go far wrong with a Manhattan. So I, I, I have been ordering a lot of old fashions lately. So that, that would probably be number two. <laughs> Do you have a favorite bourbon? Ooh. Um, I, the first one that came to mind is Angel's Envy. It's like, uh, finished in port barrels. So it has kind of this slightly, um, port like essence to it. Their rye is really good too. It's like uh, finished in rum barrels, so it almost has like a banana bread like flavor to it. <laughs> There's a direction I wasn't expecting to go in today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, was there uh, was there anything else you'd like to talk about design tokens? My um, take is just like with design systems, um, you know, people are going to use them in in different ways, and. Also, you know, there might be people out there that don't even need to use this. If you just have like a um, editorial website that is pretty straightforward, like maybe all you really need are are CSS variables and that's it. (laughs) Like there's no need to over-engineer things. Um, This is really more for like people that really need to scale or like if you have a theming context and maybe, um, but yeah, it's really, um, not meant for everyone. So just because it's becoming kind of a hot thing to talk about, you might not need to even bother with it. (laughs) If you dear listener would like to hear more from Gina, you can follow her on Twitter where she's at Gina or find her and all her projects on the web at sushi and robots.com. Thanks for joining us today, Gina. Do you have any parting words? Design systems are for people.
This is Smashing. And that was our podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And if you liked it, please share it with your friends. Find us on the web at smashingmagazine.com, on Twitter at Smashing Mag, Smashing Magazine on Facebook, or in the supermarket by the cat food. <laughs> <laughs>